0: A wild one in Starkville.
1: The party continues
0: in Starkville.
1: He's a pleasant lad from Starkville. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I read about baseball for the athletic and I drive around a lot in spring training. Uh, as always, I am joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And Doug... This week on Starkville, big show. We're going to look at the Red Sox and their impending sign-stealing discipline. We're going to look at some huge injuries, and we're going to try to give you a feel for what spring stats actually mean. And we've also got a new segment, The Dugout. Stay tuned as Doug tells stories. Doug, you ready to tell your stories?
2: So, Jay, you know, 14 seasons, 14 spring trainings – gives you a ton of stories outside of just being stuck in the locker room, riding a bus from, you know, Mesa, Arizona to Tucson to play the Rockies or whatever it was. Uh, stories abound, you know. And so, I mean, I just think of stuff like, you know, Jesse Holland's he Rest in Peace. He caught a bird in the batting cage. I mean, I don't know how you catch a bird, but he actually <laughs> caught a bird. Uh, I, my locker was between Ryan Sandberg and Randall K. Myers. Wow. So those are two Whoa. different planets, basically like Jupiter and like Pluto, <laughs> d- dwarf planets there. And uh, Randy Myers was notorious for filling his locker with grenades and various uh, military uh, materials, and <laughs> right. often threatened to pull pins out. Uh, you know, I mean, so oh God, yeah, this you had to be on your toes every spring, and each organization, Phillies, Yankees, was sort of a different storyline. Uh, and, and there was a couple fights that broke out, and uh that was always interesting. <laughs> so so uh yes, uh-huh. I am very excited to dive a little deeper
1: into some of the spring training <laughs> escapades. Uh, okay, well, later in this podcast, we will have the first ever edition of the dugout. Yeah. With Doug Glanville telling his stories. I can hardly wait for this, man. This is exciting stuff. And you know, it's it it's a perfect time to do it. Uh, We're still, what, like more than three weeks away from the opening day of the season. So I keep hearing managers answering questions by saying it's early, it's early, yeah, it's too early, good. It's not early for us. This is kind of opening day for us. (laughs) As we mentioned last week, it's a big show. The entire planet can now listen to our whole show anywhere, anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Tune in. Spotify, Stitcher. You could probably lean out your window. And you could hear <laughs> us yelling at each other. Okay. <laughs> and, and of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. But we this is a big week for us just in terms of availability of our podcast. I also want you to know if you would like to read our fine work in the Athletic or if you want to ignore our work but read everybody else's fantastic work in the Athletic, you can click – on the link wherever you found this show, and it'll get you a 40% discount on a subscription to The Athletic. And finally, if you're new to our show, you should know how this works. We divided this podcast up into innings. Since I've somehow become the Wink Martindale of baseball, we start every innings with a trivia question, and we invite you, our favorite listeners, to submit a trivia question of your own. We will tell you how that works later in the show, but we got all the business out of the way. So it's time to play our game. Okay, Doug, here is your first inning question. Uh, In the teens, that would be the decade we just finished. There was just one team that led the major leagues in runs scored four different times out of those 10 years the question is, can you name that team?
2: Four times now when you say teens like that's twenty ten to twenty nineteen? Nineteen. Yeah. Okay, it's all right. The teams. Oh yeah. Haven't have oh, we I mean, been through this?
1: It's not yeah, that complicated.
2: The tween ages. Remember we were talking about it? okay. Yeah,
1: okay, the uh, tween ages. Four times right. led the major leagues in runs scored. You can do this.
2: All right. Yeah, I mean, well I'm gonna i I'm gonna say the uh the let's say the let's say the Boston Red Sox they they've been <laughs> JD Martinez and company.
1: Yeah, you just say that cuz you know that we have a Red Sox segment coming. But you're right. You are exactly right. Yes, sir. And uh, since we're talking Red Sox, Doug, it's time to welcome a very special guest to Starkville. It's our good friend Jen McCaffrey, who does an awesome job covering the Red Sox for the Athletic. Jen joins us from Fort Myers, Florida. Jen, great to have you. I think it's your first visit to Starkville. Any truth to the rumor you're considering vacationing in Starkville this
0: summer? (laughs) Uh, If you guys are there, you know, it sounds like it'd be a good time, so.
1: (laughs) There'll be some laughs, but uh, we're a little short on amenities, just warning you. (laughs) Uh,
0: That's spring training in general, I feel like.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jen, I have a feeling it's going to be a busy week and a newsy week in Red Sox camp. Uh, You know, we spent... A lot of this spring, talking about the Astros, it's about to be the Red Sox turn. Um, People in the game seem to be anticipating that any time now, we'll be hearing about what penalties the Red Sox are going to face as the result of that baseball investigation into their sign-stealing stuff. So let's start with this. How would you describe the, the anticipation or even the trepidation that's hung over Red Sox spring training as everybody there wonders what's coming.
0: Yeah, I think that there's um, just kind of a lot of anxiety right now. Um, you know, guys, the first few weeks we spent a lot of time talking to guys about it. Obviously, it was the first time we'd seen a lot of them since, uh, since all this came out in January um, and the investigation started. So, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of, you know, anxiety and, and you know, a, a lot of guys at that time, including J.D. Martinez, were saying, you know, there's nothing to worry about. We're going to be cleaned and yeah, and haven't really been as strong in that sentiment over the past couple weeks. I don't know if that's related to anything or if they're just kind of getting wary with with this taking so long. I know a lot of us are wondering why it's taking so long. And there's been so many false starts and kind of false alarms of it's coming today. It's coming tomorrow. It's coming next week. Um, (laughs) So it's just been, yeah, there's been definitely kind of a, a cloud of anxiety hanging over the team, you know, in addition to everything else that's gone in camp this year, it's just kind of, I think they want this to get over with, you know, Ron Renneke is the interim manager, but uh, they're trying to wait and to take that tag off until, you know, this investigation finishes because they don't really know exactly uh, what, you know, he how he might be affected. Uh, so it's, it's just a lot of, yeah, a lot of uncertainty right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I share that. <laughs> and,
0: you know, let just,
1: to think back on that season a little bit, we, don't, we still don't know exactly what happened. But it's been really interesting this spring to talk to people around the game about that Red Sox team. You know the number they keep bringing up to me is, look at how they hit with runners in scoring position that year. Meaning, you know, somebody who's usually on second base, right? So I went and took a look. They had an 872 OPS with runners <laughs> in scoring position Over a full season, it was 115 points higher than how they hit with nobody on. And just to give you, here's a little perspective on what an 872 OPS is. The career OPS of Christian Yelich is 874. So in other (laughs) words, with runners in scoring position, their entire team hit like Christian (laughs) Yelich. Jen, I don't know what you thought was going on at the time, but now that we look at it through a different lens... Does that feel like an indication that they knew what was coming?
0: Yeah, it is interesting because you know, now that we've, you know, heard about some of the things with this investigation and we still don't really know exactly what how the Red Sox were doing or if they were doing anything, but thinking back to that season, there were so many innings where you'd just be sitting at Fenway and they would be piling on the runs and it would be like, how are they doing this? They you you know, <laughs> were think, thinking to yourself, it feels like they know what's coming. Um, you know, and, and you just kind of chalked it up at the time, you know, and maybe, you know, obviously hindsight's 2020. But you, you kind of chalked it up to, like, this is a really good offense with Mookie at the top and Devers and Bogarts and Martinez and, you know, every, and Benintendi was hitting really well that year. They were just really clicking. So it just, you know, it was kind of like, how this is wild that they they can keep doing this so consistently. Um, and now that, you know, there's this cloud hanging over them, it's it's like, well, what did they really know? And did they have, you know, a, a clean system where they were doing this? Or did they have, you know, sort of a more nefarious system that was more in line with what, you know, the Astros <laughs> were doing? So, you know, Obviously, that still remains to be seen, but it definitely, you know, looking back on some of those games that we sat through, and they were just, you know, there were so many, so many games where they had uh, multi-run innings, and they would just pile on, and it would just, it would go, you know, they'd be batting around, you know, the lineup, and it would just, it'd be, uh, it was, it was crazy to watch, and, and now you're, you're kind of wondering, you know, what was up?
1: Yeah, that's the big question: was it clean or was it nefarious? Uh, only Rob Manfred is going to be able to answer that one. So. Uh, Won't that be fun? You know, the other thing is, like, it's just so crazy to me to think about how much the world of the Red Sox has changed just since last spring, like, just last year. We're talking 12 months ago. This was a team coming off one of the greatest seasons of modern times. Alex Cora was a rising star. Dave Dombrowski was still running the show. Mookie Betts was still running around out there in the outfield. And now they're all... Gone. Um, so, So how would you describe the state of the franchise one spring later?
0: yeah it is the juxtaposition between the two years is just mind-boggling you know obviously yeah Dombrowski now we have Heim Bloom in charge here you know Alex Cora and uh Ron Renneke his former bench coaches in charge you know Mookie and David Price are gone you know even a guy like Rick Porcello that was with this team for so long left in free agency um you know obviously another guy like Brock Holt who was a you know heart of the team uh, as a utility guy he's also you know now in Milwaukee as a free agent uh so they've they've Endured a lot of turnover in um, just, yeah, in the span of, you know, 12, 13 months, uh, this this has been a like a complete uh, turnaround uh, in terms of, you know, the vibe of camp. They were coming off a World Series win and everything was happy go lucky. And we're, we're easing into the season. You know, guys had short off seasons and we're kind of taking our time to now. There's, you know, I think there's a sense of urgency in the sense that uh, we need to we have a chip on our shoulder and we need to prove that we're you know just as good a team you know last year was a was a, a you know a down year and there's there's more to this team than than what they had last year and and that they can still kind of come out here and, and prove themselves after all these changes and all this stress over the over the winter um, so yeah the, the the feeling around the team and just the team's makeup and overall uh, yeah. Um, the roster and, and the front office is just completely, completely different. Um, and it's, it's,
1: it's fascinating. Yeah. And then the, there's the, I mean, there's the fan base, right? I, I mean, my visit to New England, this, this winter, uh, right, right around the time the Mookie trade was going down, just the the, the, the heartbreak in that fan base, the outrage, the anger in that fan base, all of this going to be really interesting to monitor, but you know what? I've been doing all the talking. I got to let Doug <laughs> get some of his questions yeah. in So. All years, man.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jen, I mean, I was was thinking more, you mentioned shoulder, and one shoulder that's been a concern is Chris Sale and how much is riding on it. Uh, We see now he's going through this illness in spring training. What's your level of concern about Chris Sale? His innings have gone down the last couple seasons. Now he's confronted with this issue in spring training.
0: Yeah, you know, so there's concern. I don't think you can stand here and say there's not, um, just given the injury history the past couple years with him. That being said, um, you know, he's never – he, he went on the injury list in, in August and hasn't you know pitched in a game since then I uh, had the elbow inflammation and the PRP shot from from James Andrews um, you know in August of last year and took really about three months off he said he's you know he's never had this kind of stretch off in his entire you know career since he started playing baseball when he was a kid to have this much time without without pitching and so if you're looking for silver linings which I feel like the Red sox need to at this point um, in a lot a lot of different ways <laughs> He's well-rested, you know, the shoulder, the arm, the elbow, everything is well-rested. Um, so he ramps up in, in, you know, December and January and starts getting back on the mount or starts, you know, throwing at least uh, side sessions and, and getting the arm moving. And then, of course, gets hit with pneumonia uh, right at the start of camp. <laughs> so uh, that sets him back a couple weeks. Um, but the arm is still, you know, in a in in good health and seems to be, um, you know, seems to be strong. He's he's gotten back out there the past couple weeks and started throwing again he threw a bullpen session um on sunday uh he has another one uh a, a sim game on thursday and then he's supposed to get um into a, a, his first start of the spring um probably sometime around early next week uh so yeah he's he's backed up um and there is, should be some concern obviously uh just given given what we've uh, what we know about him um but again I think if you're looking for some positives out of this the you know the forced extra rest for him might be a good thing.
2: There was a lot of discussion okay. even last spring about how they use their starting rotation, how they use their pitchers. Uh and, and if anything the criticism was too much rest. There was a lot of uh you know care taken and all of a sudden in April we saw the pitching particularly the rotation you know be a complete disaster. Is there anything Renicky or the strategists with Boston or are trying to do differently in terms of managing those innings in spring training,
0: yeah. So this year they came in and was said that they wanted every pitcher to get six starts. Last year they all got around three or four, and some of them were in minor league games and you know on the backfields and whatnot. Um, so this year they really want to get these guys six starts. And Eduardo Rodriguez and Martin Perez and uh, Nathan Avaldi have all gotten two already, um, which is why you know Sales starting the season the, on the injury list because he's a little bit he's about two starts behind, and they really want to make sure that he gets six full starts in so that he can kind of ramp up um, you know appropriately and not you know go out there having to throw 60 70 pitches before he's ready Um, so I know I know people are frustrated with the fact that he's he's healthy and you know past this pneumonia but still starting the season uh, you know six or five or six weeks away uh, four four or five weeks away at this point uh, on the on the injury list but it really is because of this you know they want to be careful with the with the ramp up here and make sure he gets six starts so I think they learned their lesson from last year of you know, they thought, they thought it was going to be more helpful for these guys to get, um, you know, slower starts into, into spring training coming off of a long, long season in 2018. And then, of course, it backfired with these guys not really being as prepared as they should be. So they're trying to get all these guys six starts, and I think that's kind of where, where they are at this point.
1: You, you know, Jen, we haven't talked to you since the Mookie deal. Uh, here's my read on that trade. I, I think as the Red Sox looked at the world in January – uh, after all that had happened this winter, they looked at the Yankees and they asked themselves, let's be realistic. What are the chances we're going to be better than that team, even if we keep Mookie? And the answer was, we're not. That Those chances are exceedingly low. So if you're playing your whole season just to get into that wild card game, should you hold on to a player like Mookie and just get the draft pick compensation. Or should you try to get some young players back? Should you dump the David Price money? Should you get under the tax threshold and take the long view? And like let's think about what Hein Bloom is doing there. He they didn't bring this guy to Boston to keep the band together. He's there to evaluate everything with no emotion, with no attachments to anybody and do what needed to be done so that's what he did what do you think jen am i reading this right or was there more going on here than that
0: so yeah i think there was you know a thought we need to reset at some point we're gonna our you know our payroll is going to keep increasing and increasing and increasing there's also the notion that they they offered bets you know three separate times um, you know contract extensions and bets turned them down now obviously it probably wasn't the money that that bets was looking for I think one of the the reports that the highest report we had gotten was I think 10 years 300 million and bets was hoping to get 420 million over 12 years uh, so obviously that's a big a big gap a big gap there um, but uh, so if they weren't gonna come to come to terms um, and they realized they weren't you know gonna gonna be able to compete for a division and, and and just gonna be trying to fight for the wild card against the Rays here in this in this uh in the AL East, then why not, you know, cut things up now? Um and, and they, you know Hein bloom they hired him for a reason um like you said to kind (laughs) of come in and and with no attachments and uh he did it and uh, we'll see if how you know it still remains to be seen how this is plays out down the road (laughs) who the you know how how alex verdugo fits in boston and how you know jeter downs and connor wong what their careers end up being um and and honestly what price and mookie do in in la and i'm sure that'll, that'll be uh We'll have to look back on this in a few months and a few years and see, you know, see who, who was right and who was wrong. But uh but yeah, I agree with you on that sense.
1: Yeah, you think we'll be talking about this for a while? I
0: this is... I think I think this will be one that's not gonna go away for a long time.
1: You know, I was out in Dodger camp a week or so ago and uh, there was a lot of chatter about this, right? The guy who failed the physical, Gratterall, was in their camp throwing 98 miles an hour, and the guy who passed the physical, Verdugo, is Atome. It's, it's The whole thing is just hard, hard to digest.
0: The irony is, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely there in all this, for sure. Yeah. All right, well,
1: before we let you go, Jen, I'm going to make you give us a prediction of the Red Sox season. <laughs> it's not a fun gig? What do, what do you think?
0: Uh, are you looking for like a wins projection or like a wild card yeah. playoff, non-playoff? Like-
1: I'll tell you what. It's it's a little early to part, put a number on it, but I'll, I'll let you do this however works for you.
0: All right. I think, you know, so they were an 84-win team last year. I think they might be right around or slightly better than that. Uh, I don't see them – if everything goes right, they need Sale to be strong. They need Evaldi to be strong. They need uh, they need all these guys to be healthy. Um, obviously, losing Price and 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 bets are massive pieces that are hard to replace. But I also think this team is going in with a chip on their shoulder and kind of trying to prove to people that uh, that they're better than you know what people are putting out to them. They're not you know, people are saying they're going to be like a five hundred team or or low or are uh, below. I think that they'll. I think that they're going to use this kind of to their advantage. All this, all this uh, frustration and anger over the off season. I don't think they're going to win the division by any means. Um, they'd really need the Yankees to totally fall off the map. Um, but I think that they might compete for a wild card, uh, one of those two wild card spots. I, I, you know, I don't know if they'll make it, but I think that they'll be in it for a little while at least. Uh, and uh, you know, I think it really just depends on health is one of the key things for them. So. We'll see. And maybe maybe that's too much of an optimistic view and maybe they will end up being like a 65 win team. Uh, But it doesn't there's a lot of talent here between Bogart's, you know, Betts, Devers, obviously sale of Baldy and Rodriguez. So there is there is still talent here. They're missing some of those key guys. Uh, But I think that they could they could be, you know, good and and in contention for one of those wildcard spots uh, if things fall their way.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think they're they're going to be better than people think. And wouldn't that be something if we had like a Red Sox? Oh my goodness! <laughs> s- uh, series this October. <laughs> now, I, yeah. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Tell me the what red, you think. That would be red like. Sox, yeah, that that would be. Uh, I don't know. That would that would definitely get people watching. I think. I think uh, I, that would that would be that would that would be a fun series for sure. They play. They play the Astros uh, at JetBlue Park for the first time since all this uh, this week. So it's, uh, I'm, c- I'm kind of curious to see to see how that all oh, uh, no! I don't, ma- all. I don't
1: imagine that will get any attention.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all right, sure, Jen- I'm
0: sure it'll just go under the radar.
1: Yeah. Jen, it, it, it's been great having you stop by Starkville uh, next time. I promise we'll try to get you access (laughs) to the concierge lounge or something. (laughs) But in the the meantime, thanks for the insights. Keep up the great work. Thanks,
0: Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it, guys.
1: Jen McCaffrey does great work for The Athletic covering that team. So be sure to follow her on Twitter at JCMcCaffrey, that's F-R-E-Y, and Go to the Athletic Red Sox page and read Jen's work. If you would like to know what's really up with Chris Sale, a guy who got sick in January and is going to miss opening day in March, Jen explains it all right there in The Athletic. So, Doug, time for the second inning question. Luis Severino. You've heard of him, right? Oh, yeah. Just two years ago. (laughs) just two years ago he went 19 and 8 for the yankees and did you know my friend there have only been three other right-handed pitchers in the 21st century who won that many games in a season for the yankees or more obviously wow so i want you to name them the three right-handers who've won at least 19 games in a season for the yankees here in the 2000s
2: oh in the 2000s oh okay so it's gotta be yeah, 2000. That's a century
1: we're in depth. okay. Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah kinda, this
2: century. I was hoping right. within a hundred years So I was about to jump on Jim Bouton, but that that doesn't work anymore. No, no, no Ooh.
1: No. uh, this is modern
2: times, yeah. Ooh. wow, righties. What about uh, did Tanaka win 19? I thought he won quite a bit.
1: Uh, uh he would not be an answer to this question. Oh, okay, let me see. This
2: goes back a little
1: farther, yeah.
2: Who is there good righties? That's a good question. Come on, man. David, well, Cone was- One of them
1: just went into the Hall of Fame Whoa. the same year as oh. my Spick Award. Oh, see, that's, that's a pretty good clue. Oh, Mike Messina. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. He he did it the very last year of his career, right? 120. Oh, big. that's right. That's a big story. Yes. Uh, okay. Another guy that we talk about all the time, very famous, won many Cy Youngs. Come oh, on, Doug. David Cone? Did he win any Cy Youngs? <laughs> no. He was pretty good with the flag on this. (laughs) Doug Doug, Doug does not know the answer to this question. Uh, David Cohn would actually be an answer, but he did it before this century. Uh, Roger Clemens was the name I was looking for. Oh, yeah, Rocket. And he wasn't even the stumper. Wow. The stumper Chen Ming Wang. Did it two years in a row back in the day. Good one. Chen Ming
2: Wang. Chen Ming Wang. Yes.
1: You do. He's probably in spring training
2: with the Yankees when you were. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Yep, Randy Johnson, a okay, couple so others.
1: He, well, he, Randy Johnson would not be right handed. No, But no, other than but, that, <laughs> good, good. That's a good name. All right, but we're we're going gonna to segue away from that and talk a little bit about spring injuries and Luis Severino. One of the spring injuries. We're going to get to him in a minute, but. Doug, I just want to give you a little inside info on how sports writers get through spring training. <laughs> We're covering a six-week story where, in a lot of camps, I think it's safe to say, almost nothing of significance ever actually happens. So what do sports writers write about and talk about as often as possible? The answer is injuries, big injuries, little injuries, injuries. Even the last year's injuries, <laughs> we don't care about what kind of injuries they are. Injuries help us get through spring training so we get as much mileage out of them as we can, all right? And so that's a little insight into the sports writer view of injuries in spring training. But you were an actual player in spring training. And so I'm curious, you obviously would look at injuries differently, What's the most significant spring injury that you ever dealt with and you know as as the countdown clock in your head it starts heading towards opening day how much did that affect your state of mind Oh it's terrifying it's flat out terrifying because you know <laughs> how about
2: that a, I mean every every spring you just don't know when your body's kind of had enough. You, you don't know. And and you do know one fact that all coaches used to tell us. The only day that you're going to be 100% is the first day of spring training. <laughs> that's it. You are <laughs> all downhill from there. And you just want to make sure it's not downhill enough where you can't get on the field. So, uh, so that's always in the back of your mind because you took all this time off. You're coming back. And you're really not sure how your body's going to hold up. I actually felt the best when I played winter ball in Puerto Rico two years in a row where I barely had a break. And then I knew my body was sort of in game shape. It was those winters you go back and you kind of work out on your own. You do Pilates, you know, you know, whatever Zumba or whatever you do. <laughs> and then you come back and you're like, I don't know, is this really going to hold up? So, and you're always feeling some nick and some cut or some strain. So for me, the big change was actually later in my career as I got you know older, I, um, I pulled, I tore a hamstring tendon in Texas in 03, played through kind of 04 and then 05. I went to Yankee spring training. And I knew it was just gonna bother me all spring. And I was always in the training room trying to ice and heat and stretch. And it's that moment in your career in spring training, you start to realize it's gonna I'm gonna spend more time getting ready for the game than actually playing the game. And once you lose the starting role, now you're doing all this work just to pinch hit in the ninth or pinch run in the seventh or whatever. So that it's it's it is it's terrifying. You you just don't know when your body's gonna break down, and you've seen too many injuries that happen out of what seemingly nowhere, but it's really attrition. Your body just sort of slowly erodes <laughs> until you're really a, a pile of dust, and then your career is <laughs>
1: officially over. <laughs> Doug Glanville, former pile of dust, has spoken. And I think we've now established that spring injuries are of critical importance yeah. to players and to Sports writers. So here's what we're going to do. I I sent you earlier a list of some of the biggest injuries of this spring. And I thought what we should do is let's rank them one, two, three, in order of what we think are the most worrisome. So I'll I'll tell you what. How about I run through my list and then I'll let you run through your list? Yeah. Sound good? Go for it. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Number one. I got a tag team, uh, Luis Severino, James Paxton of the Yankees. And I'm I'm doing them as a tag team because in combination, I think they have a chance to undermine what looked a few weeks ago like the most dominant team in baseball. I I think what made the Yankees really scary uh, was not just their lineup, which is scary in its own right, but the potential to have – Garrett Cole, Tanaka, Paxton, Severino as four ace-type dominators in that rotation. Now, all of a sudden, Severino is done for the year with Tommy John surgery. Paxton, back surgery. Um, I know they're saying he's going to be – he'll be fine. He'll be back. But, I, like, I'll be satisfied that he's fine when I see that. And here's how good those two guys are. Over the last three seasons – there are only 12 pitchers in the whole sport who have a strikeout rate better than 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings and a whip of 1.16 or better. The Yankees were going to have three of them. One was Garrett Cole, obviously, but the other is Paxton and Severino. Now, two of them gone or questionable or some combination thereof. So to me, that is a major worry for the Yankees. Number two. Blake Snell of the Rays. And just because I don't know what this is exactly, and I don't think they do, uh, Blake Snell had elbow surgery last June, had some bone chips removed, did come back at the end of the season, but didn't pitch much. Got to the mound a half dozen times, very limited pitch counts. Now he's one start into spring training saying he's feeling some elbow discomfort. They're saying it's just inflammation. But I don't know, as I travel around this spring... I'll tell you what teams talk about most with the Rays, their arms. So the more I hear that, the more I'm convinced pitching is the key to their whole season. They need Blake Snell to be great. That's a worry. And number three, Griffin Canning, pitcher for the Angels, just doesn't sound good. Remember, he was shut down with elbow issues last season, now shut down with more elbow issues this spring. MRI, not quite sure what we're dealing with, but... Here's the thing. The Angels have so little margin for error with their staff and such a good group of position players. They need Griffin Canning to make an impact if they're going to win. And it's just hard to know what to think. So he's number three on my list. So that's my one, two, three. Doug, what do you got? What are your one, two, three? Some injuries. You know, I like where you're going. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball.
2: I'm going to look at the – I'm going to take some of the offensive – storylines that I'm really concerned about, one of which, of course, is Yankees also, which is Stanton and Judge. Um, you yeah. know, Giancarlo Stanton cannot stay on the field. And and this was, you know, considered one of the strongest men in baseball, and he just cannot get going. And the, the contract, the investment, it's it's such a weight. And although they're getting used to not playing with him, just imagine how dangerous this offense could be. And the depth and the length of that lineup, uh, and then and Judge these these question marks. He's he's been banged up, had some injuries each year, some fluke and hit by a pitch, but uh, definitely showing concern. And and those two anchor right-handed bats are, are game changers. I mean, both of them, one swing of the bat changes everything. And when you have a potential pitching staff, as you mentioned, a banged up pitching staff, where you have Hitters in your lineup that can change a game with a three-run home run, and you could shut them down because you have a bullpen, you have the rest of your staff in order. Those guys make a big difference. So, you know, those are kind of why one, two, and, and then staying with that, Freddie Freeman. Uh Freddie Freeman with the Braves. Yes, they have a nice young lineup, Acuna Jr., all these guys, but Freeman is just he's money, he's anchor, he's the guy every year, year in, year out. Uh, but all of a sudden now. You know, couldn't really get get the head out of the bat like he'd like to at the end of the season. Injuries plagued them. The power numbers are impacted. And it's back at it again. So, uh, you know, the Braves are a team that are poised to make a run this season. They're looking like they could really go next level. But hard to do that without Freddie Freeman.
1: I agree. Yeah, those are good ones. I gave the three pitchers we're most worried about. You gave the three hitters we're most worried about. Uh, There's a lot to worry about, Doug. That's why you need people like us (laughs) chronicling spring training for The Athletic. That's our story, and we're sticking to it. (laughs) All right. Let's go to the third inning trivia question. Chris Davis of the Orioles. We're going to talk about him in a minute. He's had two different seasons where he struck out more than 200 times. And Doug, that's as many as all Other current AL East hitters combined. So the question is I want you to name the only two other active AL East hitters who have ever had a 200 strikeout season.
2: Oh, wow. Uh, AL East, well, I mean, I might have named them. I can't help. Uh, I mean, Judge and Stanton—they they must.
1: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> exactly. Judge and Stanton are correct. How it's funny how things segue here on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but let, let's talk. I want to talk about numbers. Uh, you might have heard a rumor that I love numbers, uh, and spring numbers are some of my favorite numbers because they're fun. Sometimes they're even crazy. I want to give you a few numbers that have caught my eye this spring. We'll start with the good numbers. Chris Davis, the aforementioned Chris Davis in Baltimore, starts this spring after two of the most disastrous seasons ever witnessed. He starts the spring by going five for seven with four walks. So that's that's nine times reaching base in 11 trips with three homers Only one strikeout and an 8-18 on base. I don't know what to make of that, but it's something that gets our attention, right? Fran Mil Reyes, huge man in the Indians camp. They're really excited about this guy. Starts the spring 6-13 for with three doubles and two homers. This is a guy to watch because he could have a big year there. I know they think he could. And... Carter Keboom, he's the the Nationals' third base prospect, potential heir apparent to Anthony Rendon. Uh, A really weird start to the spring, Doug. One for 12, but with six walks. These are the stuff that I can't help but notice. Uh, And then on the mound, Nathan Avaldi. We talked about him with Jen. Starts the spring with five shutout innings, eight strikeouts, no walks. Just have to wonder, do these numbers mean anything? How would you answer that question, pal?
2: Yes, they do. They do on a personal level more than anything else. I I know it's when we're trying to figure out who's going to start and who beat out who, it's always interesting. I think that's less indicative than what you take from it as a player. Uh, Because I know... Just think about a career. There's so many different stages of your career. You're a rookie. You just got there. For example, I was traded to the Phillies. All of a sudden, I had to prove myself. Lenny Dykstra is in camp trying to beat him out. In those scenarios, numbers matter. They matter because you have to establish that you've earned a job. They matter because you need the confidence to know what you can do on an everyday basis. That happens earlier in your career. But as you you get older, you kind of know the realm of your skills. But there's got to be different moments where people are competing against you. Marlon Byrd, uh, you know, came in in 03, it was in 2 03, it was kind of taking my job as a center fielder. So then all of a sudden the numbers shift. Now you sign a 10-year deal or 12 or whatever Anthony Rendon signed, <laughs> uh, yeah, you you know, they're not going to mean anything. They're they they they're not because you can just work on things and try new things, you know, refine your skills and so on. So uh, it really depends on where you are. I do know unequivocally that confidence matters and if you gain a lot of confidence derive a lot from you know just getting on base and looking at the stat sheet uh, then it's really becomes important it's still an entirely different season when you break camp with all these day games in you know middle of the day different time zones and then all of a sudden it's night games and it's cold it's a different planet it's a different adjustment uh, so that may well be one of the bigger, Changes that affect those numbers or dismiss some of the numbers than anything. It's the fact that your environment is completely different when the season starts. So uh, they mean what teams want them to mean. They mean what you want them to mean. And at different times in your career, that will change.
1: Uh, (laughs) Okay, you just made a compelling case for why these numbers are meaningful. I'm about to make a compelling case for why they mean zilch okay you ready for this you know who led everybody in baseball in spring training homers last year i bet you don't know uh probably not uh logan Forsythe. <laughs> logan Forsythe. No, no no he's. I, I saw him at a homer just the other day but uh, he's not the answer the answer is actually jung ho Gung, he hit seven homers last spring for the Pirates. Then what happened when the season started? He hit 169 with one homer and he got released. How about that? You you know who led all players last spring in batting average? That would be a guy named Robinson Cano. He hit 441 last spring, man. He went 26 for 59. Then the season happened. How'd that go? Uh, Robinson Cano won my first half least valuable player award. (laughs) So so I, I, I know you just said it's a different planet when the season actually starts. It's very important to remind ourselves of that, don't you think, after you hear these numbers?
2: yeah, No, no doubt. I mean, I think one season I might have led baseball in OPS. I mean, I hit a grand slam and the cycle in the same week. Uh, Now, by no stretch, was I in the top 10 in OPS at
1: the end of the season. (laughs) So I fully get it. (laughs) Okay. Different planet. Those are the key words. But we love spring training. That's our story. We're sticking to that one too. Uh, Let's move along to the fourth inning because this is the inning in which we allow our favorite listeners to become part of this podcast and ask us a trivia question. Uh, We'll tell you how you can become part of this podcast later in the show. But here's the way this works. You submit a question. Then the evil mayor of Starkville, Cam, Mayor Cam, uh, he'll say, oh, look at this question. Doug and Jason will definitely get this question wrong. So then we'll (laughs) ask the question. We'll get it wrong. Uh, We'll make fun of ourselves. You'll make fun of us. But then it'll give us a fun topic to kick around. So that's how it all works. Uh, Time for this week's question. Comes from one of our favorite listeners and one of our favorite people, Chris Kampka of NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, a very fun Twitter follow, by the way, at C Kampka, C K A M K A. Chris has a little flair for trivia, so he asks us a question we're definitely going to get wrong. <laughs> okay, here it is. Over the last 100 seasons, who is the only pitcher? who has had a 10 strikeout game for six different franchises. So double figure strikeout game for six different teams. Yeah, this is hard. So hard. Uh, Like Edwin Jackson, he's played for the most teams. Can't possibly be him, right? I don't think it could be him. So I try to think about big strikeout pitchers who were higher guns, guys who changed teams a lot. Here's my funky guess. How about a guy you just guessed a little while ago, David Cohn. I doubt that's right, but at least it's not crazy to guess him. What, what do you have? Well, you know, I I'm feeling pretty good about this one because I think.
2: Well, really? at first I started thinking Steve Carlton, but if, you know, at the end of his career, he, you know, because he, he bounced around, right? Twins, Indians, White Sox, but I don't think he got the straight. Yeah, but he out bounced too.
1: around. He he bounced around because he wasn't any good.
2: Yeah, he wasn't good at the end. That, so I kind of scratched up, but I. I, I something tells me, would, from spring training, I just mentioned Randy Johnson, because, all right, let's think about this. Seattle, Montreal, Houston, right? Hired gun, who, by the way, I was struck yeah. out in that game. So I know he had 10 that game. <laughs> right. Diamondbacks.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Yankees. And then did yeah. he play for like the Giants or so? He played it for, yeah, the Giants, right? He, he played. He He did. He did. right and, uh, he, wasn't, and they had, like, he wasn't real dominating then but you know, no maybe. but you know but but in the modern era you know 10 strikeouts is nothing so I, I feel like it is like a guy the last 15 <laughs> years so I don't know I mean yeah that's that's what I got I, I can't even
1: think anybody else actually is <laughs> okay so Randy Johnson is your answer David Cohn is my answer let's yeah. call in the mayor to tell us how wrong we are
0: uh, Randy Johnson was a fantastic guest Doug. He did play for 16th, but topped out at nine strikeouts with the Giants. Oh come on! Oh, not nah, not correct. Uh, the right answer is Aaron Harang, who what? pitched for the A's, Reds, Dodgers, Mariners, Mets, and Braves. Majorly had 14 games with 10 plus strikeouts in his career. That was kind of like the heat check in basketball for you guys. You hit three straight. Had three straight. Listener questions, right? And this one was just airmail badly. Oh, this was man. way off.
2: That was total setup. I mean, I was one strikeout away from having. So I, I cannot consider that way off. That is like skimming the teeth right there. Nine strikeouts with the Giants. Come on.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Aaron. Harang. Okay. Now, Aaron harang. Is just, he's one of my favorite people, very entertaining guy. And I once got a, tr- a, a fantastic spring training column out of him because here's what he did. This was, God, this was like maybe 2006 or seven, whatever. He was with the Reds. He led the league in wins and he led the league in strikeouts and he didn't get a single Cy Young vote. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> in history had ever done that. So love Aaron Harang, and he had, he had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with it, but we never would have gotten that. I don't, We could have guessed from now until opening day and not <laughs> no gotten that one, none. And, um, you, you know, Doug, we're supposed to use these questions to inspire a little sparkling conversation. But he, here's my thought this week. Speaking of double-figure strikeout games, you think maybe that has the makings of a stupid baseball bet for this year. We got to figure out our stupid baseball bet. Maybe we could each pick a division uh had the most double digit strikeout games or pick a team that we think is going to have a bunch of them. Uh we could even make this like more stupid and bet on which team or division has the fewest double digit strikeout games. What do you like this at all? What do you think?
2: Yeah yeah in the strikeout era, it's whether it we could do it offense or or uh, pitching, uh yeah, I think we're on to something yeah let's 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 sort that out before our uh, next right. pod. We can sort that out all right
1: let let, let, let let let's not decide now. i do want to I want to talk more about this year's stupid baseball bet at the end of this show, but let's think about that. I think there's real possibilities there, but now it's time for your fifth inning question. <laughs> David Ross is the first guy to manage the Cubs. By manage, I mean full-time manager, not interim manager. First guy to manage the Cubs after playing for the Cubs since who? oh, oh actually? All right,
2: Dusty, da, 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 da. go back. Right. What's his name? <laughs> Fry and all this. Uh,
0: well,
2: well, there's one guy, I mean, I, I certainly think he's an answer. He may not be the reason. What about Lou Piniella? Because he played... And he managed, so <laughs>
1: that, yeah, I don't know. But uh, right, here's the deal. You have to play for the Cubs. You can't just have played. Those oh, he didn't. Just have played, uh, right? So he never played for the Cubs. But the, the answer is a guy who's just as legendary, just as big a character, and that is Don Zimmer. Don oh. Zimmer played for the Cubs in 1960 and 61. And then almost 30 years later, he became the manager of the Cubs. And uh, in the don't at me portion of this podcast, do not tell me Bruce Kim is the answer. Bruce Kim did play and manage the Cubs, but he was just an interim manager, so we're not going to count that one. Got it? Good one. Good one. Uh, This is not about Bruce Kim. It's not about Don Zimmer. It's about David Ross. I just wrote a really fun piece for The Athletic about David Ross, the new manager of your Chicago Cubs. And here's what fascinates me about this pick of David Ross to manage. Uh, We all know David played for the Cubs, but the thing is that's not all he did. These were not just guys he played with. These were guys he won with, and especially these were guys he was extremely close with. Doug, the manager of the Cubs is a guy who was the intern for Rizzo and Brian at the Brizzo Corporation. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, i that's the, the, the theme of the story, is managing your friends a good thing or a bad thing? But before you answer that, I want to tell you a story because this actually happened in Cubs spring training camp. Uh, David Ross is directing his first ever bunt drill as a manager. And here comes the first baseman, the aforementioned Anthony Rizzo. He's got some thoughts on the bunt drill he decides to tell David Ross the stuff he forgot to include in the bunch drill. So David looks at him and he says, Hey Anthony, I'll tell you what, how about I manage the team and you play first base. (laughs) And Anthony Rizzo says, listen, man, just remember where you came from. You were my intern. (laughs) So, so like, I thought this was fun. It's very entertaining. Uh, it's great to have two guys who have this kind of relationship, but can they transition from a relationship where you know they're they're buddies, they're they're teammates, and now all of a sudden one guy is the manager? Suppose he has to bench Anthony Rizzo. Suppose he has to discipline Anthony Rizzo. Uh, you know, I talked to Joe Torre, who was one of the few guys who have actually done this. This player for the Mets back in the 70s then managed the same guys told me stories about how he had to release players he played with call him in and release them. he had to suspend the player he played with so all right let's get back to the original question here Doug good thing or bad thing do managers have to draw a certain line that teammates don't have to draw Absolutely, Jay. I mean, and
2: this is really surgery. I mean, this is difficult, and um, it can be done. It can certainly be done, and there's no question that you know, Ross has a lot of respect. And even when he played, he was seen almost like a coach and he had was. that level of you know respect. Um, you know, there, so I do think that that plays a role in his ability to transition. That he did come as a veteran who was sort of the twilight of his career but yeah you you just mentioned perfect examples suspending a player disciplining a player uh benching a player for not producing you know the guy throws his helmet whatever you can't yeah i mean there's so many things that are going to test your relationship you know i know larry boa and dave Hollins. you know they like were friends and roommates and all these things so there's lines have been blurred but there's something about playing for a team and then shortly thereafter, staying in the organization and then transitioning right to being in the leadership position. And, you know, the favoritism questions of uh, if you're not going well, how hard can you be on someone? You know, it's it's a lot. And Ross is going to have to really thread the needle. And it is truly threading a needle to make sure that you have the respect and people don't like take you too lightly. But at the same time, you could reach people and communicate. You're also doing sort of the following the initiatives and the mission of the front office, which has to be somewhat uh, dispassionate about certain things because you don't want to show uh, a certain level of bias because you're trying to win. I, I it's really difficult. so I, I think it can be successful, but it's a different set of challenges than any other situation where you you're coming from out, from the outside or with time, working to your favor where you had time removed before you end up leading the same group.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you another example. Uh, I, and I mentioned this to David when we talked. Uh, this is another Joe Torrey story. Uh, Joe told me that when he was managing the Yankees, uh, he managed a guy named Denny Nagel. Remember that? And oh, yeah. uh, during the World Series, uh the Yankees were playing the Mets. They were winning the game. Denny Nagel was winning the game. They were two outs in the fifth inning. And out came Joe Torre to take Denny Nagel out of the game, one out away from qualifying for the only World Series victory of his career. And I said, did Joe – so how how'd Denny Nagel take that? And Joe said, he never talked to me again. So I said, all right, David, I want you to change the names. I want you to imagine John Lester is the pitcher and you're the manager – you used to be his personal catcher. Can you go to the mound and take him out of the game in a situation like that? And David had a good answer. He said that he, you know, he called Lester in real early on in camp and said, "Listen, I I, I know how prepared you are. I know nobody uh, is more is putting more into a start than you. But if I come out to take you out of a game, just know I'm doing it for the team. It's got nothing to do with my feelings for for you or about you or blah 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 blah." And Lester said to him, "Hey." All your life, you've been taking me out of the out of games, coming to the mound and telling me you're done. <laughs> so don't worry about it. But it's easy to say now; it's a lot yeah. harder to say in the moment, don't you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, but I, he he probably has to let him know. Look, you could be mad. You could have all just like tell me in the locker room. You know, tell me in my office. You know, whatever it is. You you know, I mean, remember I interviewed for the Rays with Heim Bloom in Boston in 2014. And one of the questions they asked me was a scenario where you take a pitcher out and in the locker room he makes a scene. He's turning over tables, he's uh... so it wasn't <laughs> about the strategy of actually taking him out as much as how do you handle that? And that's in a situation where you don't have long-standing relationships. So look, John Lester is I mean, that's a guy I would dread taking out of a game. Okay, you you better know what you're doing and, and better have confidence in why. Uh, and I don't unless they're just you know super competitive as is David Ross. So the, it's, it is not going to be easy. They can still be successful, but this is why they picked David Ross. They believe he has the communication skills and the the ability to almost have foresight into all these issues, be able to kind of smooth it over beforehand, anticipate them, and have a, an approach that will be respected without losing sense of what the important thing is and that is winning. So I wish him well. That is a tough situation. Uh, but if it goes well, man, that's going to be the best party of ever <laughs> you know, because you are, a, you are amongst family and friends.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I, I, I like David a lot. Uh, Worked with him at ESPN. Talked to him for hours and hours and hours when he was a player. And uh, I, I'll admit, I root for the guy. But I'm going to be fascinated by how this plays out. Doug. Before we head into the dugout for the sixth inning, I got an Alex Rodriguez trivia question for you. Uh, you'll, you'll see All why right. in a minute. But right. in his day, A-Rod led the American League in home runs five times. And no active player has done that. But there is one active player who has been a home run champ in his league three times. You just got to tell me who that is. Oh, boy. Three-time home run champ, active player. Three
2: in in this league, or just led the league three times. Led his league player. three times. Um, well, I'm going to go to your go-to guy. Uh, that is Nelson Cruz. His name comes up all
1: the time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is the, the human trivia stumper. He's not correct, though. <laughs> good, good try. Like, there's so many good guesses. I thought you could guess Stanton again, only twice. Pujols, guess him all the time, only twice. Chris Davis did it twice. Mickey, you guess him every week, only twice. The actual answer, Nolan Arenado. Tough one, right? Oh, nice. Yeah, good yeah,
2: one.
1: Yeah. yeah, three times. Actually, tied for the lead two times, but they still count. All right, here we go. Time for our new weekly segment. Every week in this segment, Doug Glanville is going to take us into the dugout. Uh, we, we're going to call it the dugout because... This is where Doug is going to tell us a story before you say goodnight. You like that? (laughs) Now, I spend hours and hours talking to you, Doug. Uh, is something I've noticed. You have a lot of stories. You have thousands of stories. You have billions of stories. So I really, I wanted to create a segment every week to give you a chance to tell a story. So you're going to become the Aesop of this podcast. You think you can handle that responsibility? (laughs) absolutely. Pull up a rocking chair
2: and pull up a chair. (laughs) Oh, yes, boys and girls, (laughs) I have a
1: story for you. Yes, you do. Yeah. Uh, Since it was an A-Rod trivia question, it's going to be an A-Rod story, correct? Yeah, let's tell an A-Rod story. Well, I, I, I want to
2: set the stage. Since we're in the spring training spirit, 2003, I signed with the Texas Rangers and I go to spring training. Alex Rodriguez, of course, is star player, and it's the first time i you know played I really didn't play much against them with the different league. So I was excited actually to play in this incredible lineup with him, but also Juan Gonzalez and Rafael Palmera and all these guys, Michael Young. So uh, so I go to camp and at one point, right towards the end of camp, we're about to work go over the signs. And our coach was Steve Smith. And we're sitting in these two long tables. And we're all kind of around, and the coaches are on one side, and the players are on the other. So Smith is up there telling us what he's going to say to us when you're on second base, and he's going to warn you about what the shortstop or second baseman are doing, right? Picking off. He's like, careful, back, watch out, whatever. Uh, Carl Everett didn't really like the sign or the communication because it thought it made him tentative about stealing third. And so he didn't like it, so he kind of debated Smith, and it kind of got heated, and it led to... Carl really getting really upset, and ultimately we had to jam him into a locker because oh, it got so heated, yeah, that we had the, like, and, you know, strong guy, Juan <laughs> Gonzalez, it took all these guys, right? So I know, where's A-Rod in this story? So right. we we break up, and it's sort of like 1, one thirty, and all the pitchers had already gone back to their apartments and so on. And Buck Walter is really upset, so he wants to have a huge meeting to go over respect and hearing and discipline and he's making all kinds of sort of <laughs> threats, right? So the pitchers are long gone and they're golfing or whatever. So we have like an hour and a half and Alex Rodriguez <laughs> stands up and we're in this where room are you? full. Yeah. We're, we're in like a conference room now. We, we moved from the locker room to this room that just had chairs where we had like big meetings. And there's a whiteboard with a diamond kind of etched in the back and Alex Rodriguez stands up and he says, Okay, guys, here's the scenario. Man on second, he draws all the X's and O's on the board. <laughs> and Kevin Mensch was there, uh, who was our young outfielder at the time. And he draws a play where it's like a ball in the hole, first and second. He's trying to find out what Kevin Mench would do if he was on second after the shortstop threw it to first. And when Mench answered, he tells him, wrong, Kevin, that's not right. This is what you do, right? <laughs> so one of the players, you know, all the veteran guys started chiming like, you know, basically, like, why didn't she just sit down, man? And and I was like, what? So here, just imagine this: like, a Rod is one of the greatest players of our, you know, generation. Or one of the top five, probably, of all time, statistically. And uh, and I I got along great with Alex, and and he was likable, and he was you know talked to everybody. And I could not believe that someone <laughs> this good that worked as hard as he did was was blown off in this moment. Yeah, I know it was weird that he's getting up and you know doing whiteboard stuff and he's not a coach. But I I was like, oh, we're gonna learn something, right? This guy <laughs> knows the game. And I couldn't believe like veteran players like not just feeling it wasn't even relevant. And I saw different moments during the season where there was this tension about it. And and it, look, it wasn't his comfort zone to be the rah-rah guy. He was actually you know, actually enjoyed talking to the 40th man on the roster, which I thought was actually endearing because he's, I played with stars that didn't want to talk to anybody, right? Or had their own program, but he actually was very open to everybody. So it, I realized it translated to some of the veteran players like not really listening or not really taking it seriously when he was trying to bring something up. Uh, I Up until that point, I worked out with him and on the curveball machine. I saw someone working hard all the time. so And I saw no reason to think he was, you know, someone you just would not listen to. But as time went over the season, I saw he just struggled with getting that kind of respect and that kind of command. And I didn't know, you know, to that point, what the history was. So, you know, so from there forward, I paid attention and really noticed that he, he was actually more comfort talk comfortable talking to Donnie Sadler and like guys like myself who kind of like, you know, hanging on for the dear life of their career, <laughs> so uh, he, he did well by that, but it was he did not fit into the land of all these like superstar megastars, which I found fascinating. I just found it fascinating. Yeah. So, uh, in closing, uh, boys and girls, Alex Rodriguez doesn't you may have the numbers, you may have the the stats, you may have the all star appearances, the trophies. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it takes that extra thing that we all can feel to overcome certain insecurities where people may not actually listen to us. And uh, but there's always someone listen to you, boys and girls. You just
1: have to know who that <laughs> is. <laughs> Doug, you're supposed to end this by saying, "And he lived happily ever after. He, he's getting married to Jayla And he did. That's the way the story ends. <laughs> and, and he did. He he turned. You know, I he,
2: the guy just. is is like teflon and i mean but you know you know talking about alex rodriguez i know there's a lot of opinions about him and some are not popular and all these things but i will say like look my experience with alex rodriguez is on a personal level he was always friendly he was my his locker was next to mine to talk to him every day he always asked about you know what was going on in your life and your uncle and he kind of remembered (laughs) a lot of people you know i don't he was he was very friendly he, you know, he tried to help you as a player He, he and he loved talking baseball, you know. So I, and I think that's why he did so well as he got older because, you know, yes, all the PDs and the, the scandals, and all that. But once he was still in the game, you saw a lot of young players still gravitate towards him. And I think he, because he once again, he got along well with the 40th man on the roster. So you saw a lot of players who were younger who kind of had that reset with him. And, and they just saw him as a guy who really liked mentoring and talking shop all the time. So I think he that gave him sort of like a revolution, like a rebirth in his image and a lot of things. And, and he ran with it. He also did run with it. So, you know, there'll always be a lot of opinions. I, I get it. I fully get all the controversy. I get all the scandal. Uh, but I can only speak for some of the stuff I saw in the locker room with him as my teammate. So uh, those were... Those were I had a, I had a good time. I had a lot of
1: fun with them. <laughs> so. Yeah. When so we now we know that when you apply that expression, he he had trouble commanding the room. Uh, he literally could not command the room. <laughs> literally, right. yeah. Literally. Yeah. Okay, Doug. Before we go, we need to kick around a really important topic. Uh, what are we going to do for this year's stupid baseball bet? Now, just to recap for people who are new to the show, uh, last year as we were starting up this podcast, I just flat out stole this idea from my friends Glenn Macnow and Ray Dinger. Uh, Radio guys in Philadelphia have a stupid football bet on their radio show, and I love it. So I said, all right, we're going to do our own stupid baseball bet. And what we did last year, uh, Doug, I know you remember this, uh, it involved position players pitching, and there were 95 of them. So it got pretty action-packed. Yeah. So here's the th- question, first question. Should we do that again? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. Now, baseball has implemented a new rule that limits when position players can pitch this year. Uh, the only time they can pitch in the first nine innings of a game is in blowouts. Uh, their team has to be either winning or losing by six or more. Um, and I know they think this is going to limit the amount of times this happened, but I had my friends from the MLB Network Research Department look at it. We can only find three games all last year where a position player pitched uh, before extra innings with his team uh, winning or losing by fewer than six runs. So it might not have that big impact at all, which Ooh. means we could still use it. So should we, what do you think? Should we still go this way? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, if if it it? doesn't, yeah, if it significantly, you know, doesn't reduce him, I I love it. I mean, it's as stupid as a baseball bat as you can have. (laughs) (laughs) uh,
1: It is. It pretty much is. The other fun thing about it was, like, position players don't just pitch. Like, insane stuff happens when they pitch, and so we get to recap that. Guy comes in and throws sixty pitches or something because he can't get out of the inning. I. I did enjoy telling all those stories last year, so we could yeah. we could do it again. In fact, wait, right, wait, remind me what you named the trophy I'm, that, that I'm supposed to get that I still haven't gotten. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, there's no trophy for that one because we tied,
2: remember? So it was a it was Granny Hamner, so it was a, and we a hammer. So we did Doc Grand Hamner or something, and it was a right. uh, it was supposed Doc to be Hamner. a reflex, a, a golden reflex hammer.
1: Right, but what's the? But I did win. I, what was I, we had a tiebreaker oh, of some kind that I won. So what? What's the? You're sending me a trophy if you allege. Two so trophies. What are you naming it. You got two, you have two trophies. Right, yes, but what's they're ordered? What's that? What's that one? Uh, the Doc
2: uh, Hamner. The
1: no, Doc you, Hamner. Fe- you had a different name for it.
2: The oh, changing. the Cy Young Award. S I G H. The you Cy don't. Young Award is one, and the other is Montezuma's Revenge. <laughs> okay, that's for so, the that's for the home runs in so the So if we're gonna have a
1: have an S I G H Young Award, then yes. it's got to involve some kind of pitching. All right. Let, yeah, here's that, the thing. That, yes, we were gonna we were gonna decide this this week. Let's let's continue to kick this around and see if there's, if we wanted to go down this road again or do something else. We had fun with it. So we'll think about it. In the meantime, that's going to do it for this episode of Starkville. Um, We're going to do this now every week. You'll find us in the athletic podcast feed on Tuesday mornings. And just a reminder, we're now available everywhere. You get your podcasts, uh, So that'd be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, whatever. And in between the podcasts, remember to read us on the Athletic website and on the Athletic app. Also remember, you can be part of this podcast. Just submit a trivia question. You can do that via email. Uh, The email address is Starkville with an E. Starkville at the athletic.com or you can send in these questions via Twitter. If you want to send them to me, direct them to at Jason S T J A Y S O N S T or send them to Doug at, at Doug Glanville, D O U G G L A N V I L L E. Hit me up. Right. And the only thing you have to remember besides that is to hashtag your question, hashtag Starkville QS. That's Starkville with an E-Q-S. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll see you next week on Starkville.